All right, we are live. President Trump is on the line. He has taken time in advance of 4th of July week to do the rounds, and I've been granted a media request with, with three or four questions, I've been told. And so, President Trump, thanks for being on. My first question is, uh, amid what I would call a triple threat right now of a pandemic, economic collapse, and racial fallout, three major issues, how are you balancing that with uh, being in a, a re-election year? Well, I think we're doing, I would say we're doing a very strong job with all three. You know, I think it's, you know, in, in entertainment, they used to remember Sammy Davis Jr., great entertainer, black, by the way, African-American. He, they called him a triple threat because he could sing, dance, and act. This used to be a good thing when you were a triple threat. Now, all of a sudden, because Trump's president, you know, we're tackling the COVID this economy, which was so great. It was the greatest economy anybody had kind of ever seen. And then, you know, the COVID hit. And then we've got, I think, racially, I think we're doing, making very strong progress. So I think, you know, it's a triple threat, but I'm sort of succeeding at the triple threat, which I think when we get to November, people are going to see that I've done such a great job that nobody else, by the way, could have handled. Okay, no one. Obama certainly couldn't have handled it. So... I think we're going to be in a very strong position. It's sort of getting, it's allowing me to show how great I can be. With all this news right now and a lot of noise in our country, why did you ultimately decide to move away from the daily briefings and more of the, the sit down interviews with reporters? Well, I think that since I'm sort of the, you know, they called Reagan the great communicator. I think my nickname should be the greater communicator or the greatest communicator. Because when I get to sit down with great media people like Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson or the great people at OAN who are doing some wonderful things, I think I get the case out much stronger. Whereas during the briefings, you had Fauci, little, little Dr. Fauci and the scarf lady always sort of interrupting me and trying to contradict me and trying honestly to steal the spotlight. I don't know if they have book deals or if they want to get in sort of medical journals or something, but they always were trying to take the spotlight and the people wanted to hear from their president. They didn't elect Fauci or Scarves to be president. So I think by doing one-on-one -on -one interviews, I give the people what they want and they get the great information instead of sort of, you know, the mixed messages from doctors who seem to want to, maybe they want to be like the next Dr. Oz or Dr. Phil and get a TV show. But I think it's important that people get the right information from the people they trust, which I think is me. A lot of people, you know, media especially, have questioned if you're mentally fit to be president. And then the other day, we see possibly some physical issues with you, Mr. President, and with the, the, the ramp walk. Um, how would you respond to your physical fitness at this point? Well, first, I don't want to ignore the fact that you seem to sort of imply like a nastiness about my mental fitness but i take rocky balboa you know this is this pill for memory it's called rocky balboa yeah so my memory is very strong and we're keeping up with it and my physical strength and stamina is is they've told me it's off the charts right. you know the ramp there was that guy walking next to me the military strong military guy he was walking next to me and it was like a narrow ramp and we're two big muscular men so he was kind of cutting off my area and the ramp was slippery. It was very wet and there was no handrails. And obviously I didn't fall because I have great balance, but I thought 
better to take this slow. I, I, I think, you know, everybody wants, they're always saying, be careful, be careful. You got to test, you know, with the COVID, everybody wants wear 19 masks, lock yourself in a closet, uh, social distance, uh, listen to the doctors, wear 19 masks, do all these things. Okay. But that's being mm-hmm. careful. When they do that, they say it's being careful. When I'm careful walking down a slippery ramp with no handrail, everybody wants me to go be not careful. You know, they're complaining that I was too careful, which I think is sort of the classic nasty media. Okay. They, they always, you know, they're very inconsistent. The only thing they're consistent with is to be anti-Trump. Well, let me follow up on that then. Why have you positioned yourself to be the fake news president? I, I feel like that could do some damage, either if you get reelected or not, just put, putting the media in that their responsibility is fake news to the point where for a lot of consumers, when we read a story, we question its credibility. Well, I think it's good. People right. should question things, except for me. I mean, when I say something, it's coming from the president. So I think people should take that as sort of, you know, a strong truth. But when other people say it, I think you should look into it. And sometimes they tell the truth and sometimes they're they're being nasty and not telling the truth. And I think we should question that. And then finally, Mr. President, a little bit of a lighter question to get you out of here on this. Why is Diet Coke your favorite drink of choice? Well, it's a great American beverage, okay, from our great state of Georgia, which is, as you know, a Trump state. And it's sort of, they call it iconic. You know, Coca-Cola is one of those brands that the world knows as America. You know, it's as American as apple, apple cake, right? It's equally American. And it's also, I think it sends the right health message in these times where we have to be more healthy. Zero calories, okay? I don't even know how they do it still, but it's got no calories and yet it's delicious. So, I think it sends a great patriotic message and also a strong health message to the, to the people. Welcome to Eavesdrop. Here's your host, Matt Cozy. All right, we're back with JL. Coven. I'm pronouncing that right, JL. Um, close to Coven. Coven. Even though it's, Coven. Even though it's V-I-N, I knew that. French. Shoot. I had that oh, written down okay. too. That's okay. Yes. All right, JL. Thanks for being on Eavesdrop today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Uh, we, just heard, we just heard your Trump impression, which... I've also listened to the podcast as yourself, and I've enjoyed that a lot as well. Well, thank you. And, yeah, well, the, the one thing yeah. is we're recording this um, around noon. Right. Uh, are you on the East Coast? I'm in the Midwest right now. Okay, yeah, so it's Illinois. not quite noon for you. Oh, okay. So 11, yeah. 11, 15 for you, 12, 15 for me. But my impression is just sort of getting, like, it's very weird and it makes me sound like a, a real diva, but 
my impression really peaks between 2 p.m. and like 10 p.m. when I've been talking for a while and up for a while. That's why I always hate when I've been on Howard Stern a couple times. Those are 7 a.m. calls. So I'm always trying to rough up my voice early in the morning. Sure. But so if the impression, I think the impression, if I had to rate it, I'd say it was for me, you know, a B plus. But that's really only a function of that I'm, I'm not yet in my stride yet so hopefully it still sounded good but uh it did yeah the midday impression <laughs> if you will i wanted to affirm you and i'm just some guy and i really appreciate you being on i'm just some guy in the midwest with the podcast but i hear in your podcast a lot not not minimizing yourself or like downplaying the impression but mm -hmm. you do have the best trump content on the planet it's not close <laughs> No, no, I know. And, and it's, it's funny that, uh, you know, what may be Trump's final six months in office is when, you know, I've been doing the impression since 2015. And, right. and I had it played on, um, you know, I did it on Adam Carolla's podcast. I did it. Uh, I was sort of a segment for a little while on the Dan Lebitard show on ESPN. Which is Rare. where so I those, first heard you. Oh, great. And those are not small platforms. I was getting, I was sort of annoyed because I said, you know, I've been trying, I've done lots of impressions. I've put out many stand-up albums. I've been on, on late night TV. Um, so I've done all these sort of benchmarks for a comedian, but I knew the Trump impression. It was, it was, it was sort of special because I said, I think I have the best one out there. And obviously, usually that's a lucrative sort of avenue, even if it's temporary. And yet I wasn't getting any of the sort of auditions or paid gigs or industry looks. So it was sort of putting me in a new level of despair when it came to my career because I knew I was a, a really good comedian. I knew I'd worked hard and I'd done lots of different things, but I knew that tr the Trump thing, although it's to make it, you know, to compare myself to like a baseball pitcher, I can throw five pitches, but I know that my, my out pitch is, is the Trump impression. You know what I mean? Like, I know mm -hmm. that's the one when I have two strikes on a guy, I, I uncork that and, you know, usually get the strike. Yeah. But it wasn't for that to not be getting recognized in a bigger way was was sort of extra disappointing. And when this pandemic mm -hmm. hit, you know, so I know I know the content I've been doing the podcast for over two years, uh, the impression for for five years. So it's very it's very well honed and I know it's really good, but it's kind of odd that it took all this for me to finally get sort of recognized. And now I may only have six months left with it. I, I I've told people that if he loses, I'll probably continue doing it in some capacity, but if right. he wins, not that this is a political show, but you know, I am doing political comedy. So um, I don't know if I can continue it if, if he wins. Cause I, I think that will be, not as funny. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> like you said, it's grown so much since March. So is this ultimately at the end of the day, something that you could say you enjoy doing or not necessarily given the fact that you're considering maybe not considering if he gets reelected? No, I, I do. I do enjoy it because I think right. I make some, I, 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 I've had some arguments on Twitter where people were saying to me, you know, oh, please don't make this political. And I go, I don't think this is political. I think this is ethical. I think that making fun of him and, and dismissing his supporters is, is ethical 
at this point, not not political. And it's the same way he's turned wearing masks into a a political issue instead sure. of a health issue. Um, I I enjoy it because I'm very good at it, and I see that you know what was weird about this whole thing is that I was getting messages, and this is a joke I've written for whenever I can start you know recording a new stand-up album because I literally have an hour ready to go. About 15 minutes of it was written before this whole thing hit, and the rest has just been about my experience being sort of quasi-famous. But one of the things I I wrote was, you know, I thought when I got famous, um, I'd at least be getting DMs from you know groupies and stuff. Instead, what I get is like aunts and grandmas saying, our family has been so stressed during this time. And we thank you so much <laughs> for what you've done. And I yeah. go, wow, I went right from, you know, Motley Crue to Mr. Rogers in terms of my type of fame, which is, which is fine because I have a girlfriend, but still the ego still wants uh, some, some, some women to say things other than you've healed our family. <laughs> but it's so it's it's been more rewarding than I expected because I never I'm a very old school cynical type of comedian. I do comedy mm. for laughs first, mm -hmm. agenda second or third. Um, so what's funny is that a lot of Trump people would probably like my irreverent stand up and a lot of the people who love my Trump because they like its political message might not like might find some of my stand up offensive. So it's kind of a weird position to be in, but I think that uh, I do enjoy it because it's it's bringing people happiness, and I'm and you know a lot of time we we it's human nature to to like something you're good at, mm -hmm. um, but I hope that its time is coming to an end soon, and I I just hope that more people can see my stand up and see my other impressions and watch a lot of my other sketches as well. I'm hoping that. I've enough people sort of are interested in my sense of humor and not just the voice I can make because obviously there's original writing content within the impression that sort of tells you that I'm a, a skilled comedy person, not just a, a voice person. So I, I, I hope that this isn't the, uh, the highlight of my career. I hope it's the beginning of an, of a new phase, but who knows? Absolutely. And I want to, ask you again about that, but I want to rewind a little bit. One more. Sorry, Trump, yeah, that was a very long-winded answer. That was awesome, <laughs> though. I uh, really appreciate it. The, the Trump podcast, Making Podcasts Great Again. Yes. Big fan, very funny. You do it oh, with thank you. tech stuff guy. <laughs> uh, can you take me behind the scenes of that show a little bit? Is that a show where you two literally sit down or now, uh, you know, perhaps through Zoom like we're doing right. now? Or do you have at least an outline or kind of a guide as you guys go through the 30, 40 minute show. Sure. Um, yeah, the show started like two, two, almost two and a half years ago. Um, my friend Jay, who is the Jay Nog, who is the tech stuff guy and tech stuff guy was literally an invention in the first episode. Okay. Like, I don't know why I said that, but it obviously has stuck and played well. Yeah. You've said I a lot wanted, of things. You know, yeah. Yeah. I just thought it would be funny to be like, yeah, he's going to be dismissive of the help. Like he views ah, the producer yes. as like that the help. Sense. So I just said, Hey, you're the, you know, you're the, uh, well, okay, we'll call you tech stuff guy. You, you do that part. I'll do the great content. And I, you know, I was at that phase. I had uh, stopped a lot. Like I've had this happen with me a lot in my comedy career, but I was at one of the many phases of like, I'm, I'm not making money anymore. I'm not getting the gigs I want. And then Jay reached out to me. He, he knew I had a great impression and he thought, and I know, you know, cynically we're friends, but I know he thought this could be a cash cow because this guy is so good. 
and at, at Trump. And so we started doing the podcast and we, you know, I said, okay, well, if you want to, if you're motivated to do this, I'm not really motivated, but you know what, if you want to put in some work and I'll, I'll show up each week and we can, we can get this going. Um, and I thought early on, I thought we had a really good show going and we weren't picking up listeners. We, you know, we had like 500 listeners maybe, which is, which is, I wasn't thinking that was bad. I just thought, yeah, okay. So even, even having this great impression hasn't elevated it beyond what like my regular podcast mm -hmm. was able to get as far as listeners. And, you know, obviously we just kind of meandered along. People kept saying, I can't believe you don't have more listeners. And then the pandemic hit. And I luckily on the video that went viral, I tag, I said, I tagged my podcast making podcasts great again. And just basically said, if you like this, check out the podcast. And I genuinely thought that would lead to like maybe a hundred new subscribers. And we went from 800 listens to like 24,000 listens that week, man. Um, we've dipped down from that since, but now we're in the five digits sure. a week, which yeah. is, which is amazing. I know some podcasts might not be impressed, but to go from three digits to five digits in a span of two months after doing the show for two years is, is pretty awesome. Um, so to answer your question, as I go off on another tangent, it's basically, uh, Jay and I usually, he knows I'm very busy right now. We usually collaborated on the topics cause I'm more of a news junkie than he is. I think I've, okay. I've tried to force him to become a news junkie in this process, which he has, um, a little bit. Uh, but we would just talk the day of about what topics we should talk about. I might send him a couple of articles if he wasn't watching the news or reading the paper that day. And then that's it. It's five, usually five to seven topics ranging from political to social to pop culture and everything else is completely improvised. Awesome. So the podcast, Twitter, and YouTube have accelerated yourself at this point. Yeah. In your own show, you talk about the career you actually want, you know, is this going to lead to anything? What is the career you actually want? Is it being a stand up and, and really being a, a, consistent comedian my stand-up comedy career began doing you know half my act would be impressions okay and you know that was when i was very happy i was a, a law student at georgetown with tons of potential but a little bit of depression so i needed some outlet and comedy was exactly what i needed and you know my first album i have six stand-up albums but my first album was uh you know probably 35 percent impression bits and it's really like happy comedy album. It's, it's, I think it's funny. It's, it's a little raw because of the stage I was at in my career, but it's a, it's a very sort of upbeat comedy album. And then life comes at you and you, you get into a, an awful relationship maybe, and you realize you don't want to talk on stage in other people's voices as much. So around 08, 09 is when I did a split and I basically said, YouTube's going to be where I do my impressions and I start to develop maybe some sketch writing and, and use that almost as a visual portfolio for what would be if, 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 if a sketch show came to look at me which they never did. But, you know, that's why my, my YouTube is so impression heavy. And I wrote a, and produced like a lot of like slick, like I invested a lot of money into making my sketches look good. Um, and my standup became just more and more personal and provocative. And, you know, I'm, I'm, my, my dream is, and I'm, I'm realistic enough to know that the business doesn't work this way. There's, there's not as much respect for stand-up if you're not a Sebastian Maniscalco, 
uh, level arena mogul type stand-up, like a Joe Coy, a Jim Gaffigan. Though their agents definitely still care about their comedy careers because they make millions doing stand-up. But most agents, I think, want to get you, yeah, yeah, stand-up's great for live appearances and meeting the fans and keeping you busy, but like movies and writing, these are where the like the easy money, the bigger money is. So I wouldn't be naive to say, I just want to be a stand-up. That is what that's the truth. I want to be I want to do clubs 40 weeks a year with special event on my poster, selling out five shows a week, yeah. selling albums, writing material, working on other projects during the day, but, but not having to have a day job and know that I've achieved my dream. And then we'll do other things from that. But the truth is, if and when I meet with a manager over this and, and none, you know, it, the conversation I have to have is, oh, well, I want to be, you know, the next Kevin Hart. Because it's like they want to hear that that huge ambition, um, whereas to me it's like I want to be a great stand-up comedian, and that makes me happy. I like traveling the country. I like spending four or five days in a city, and relaxing, mm-hmm. and seeing some stuff, and writing, and and you know being being relaxed, and then crushing at night. And to me, that's that's so fun, and it's it's what I'm best at. I can do a lot of things comedically. I can write. I can do impressions. But I love, I really love the whole aspect of road comedy. From from getting on a train or even a plane. Even though I hate flying, I still kind of like traveling. I love I love the train, uh, and I I just like getting into a different city. And yeah. and it's the, everything about it. The stand up, but also the travel. I love it. I it just. That's cool. and, and that's what I want more than anything. Now, I know that I can't say that to a manager because they'll think, oh, great, this guy wants to be the next, you know, what's, what's 10% of $220,000? Uh, not that much when you're an agent. So, you know, but I think I have the skills, uh, the, the, the skill set to do a lot more than that. And I, I welcome those opportunities. But between me, you and your listeners, the day I become a special event headliner, if that day ever comes, my dreams come true. And then I can work on other things. But that's, that's the dream for me. Because I still love stand-up and I don't think it's as respected as it should be. I don't think middle acts, I've written a lot about this uh, for years. Um, I don't think middle acts get paid what they should uh, so that they can develop sure. into headliners the old fashioned way. It's now social media or TV appearances. They, they manufacture comedians and headliners now instead of developing them. I think not all cases, but I think in many cases, you, you have people going right to the top because they can bring audience, but they don't bring uh, the real, not to sound pretentious, but craftsmanship of, of stand-up. You could clarify the logistics of this then, but I'm inferring that you need some type of a manager or agent to kind of be a link to do that. And I'm curious to why that still is about comedy because there's other sectors of media where we see people have success digitally and then something else happens from there so i'm wondering why you know comedy specifically stand-up comedy and the events you're talking about you still do need to link up with somebody else for that to happen yeah, it's and, and, and of course, people tell me, they say, hey, maybe you could book your own theater schedule. And I go, I got right. a day. Like, I know I'm hungry for this, but I have a day job that exactly. the one thing comedy has taught me is that comedy is not reliable, you know, and I will not leave my day job and the benefits and the security of that. You know, I'm 40. 
I, I left, I got laid off when I was 29 from a law firm job that paid really well, but I had money in the bank. I was coming off a late night TV credit and I thought, you know what, this is my time. This is what I want to do. So let me try to do this full time. And I traveled for a few years doing feature work and, and, you know, relaxing and thinking I was going to make it. And then all my money was gone and I had to go back to part-time work. And I thought you, heat is bullshit. You know, in terms of if I, I'm sorry, if I, if I can curse, that's okay. Heat is ephemeral, I guess it's, 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 you think you have it and you, you make these judgments, but like until somebody puts your name on a contract, until you are, your bank account is, is, is making more than it's giving out. You don't have any dependability in this business. And I think now I'm 40 and people can say, oh, well, you're not, you're not, you're, you want, you want security. You're not hungry enough. I go, I've been hungry for 17 years. I'm now 40. Like I'm not hungry enough to waste my life chasing something that has not, that has not um, given me confidence that it will do the right thing. Like I should be headlining now. I have been ready to headline for at least six years. Um, but it hasn't happened. And for clubs, I could do my own tour. I could be like, Oh, I booked all these years. That would be a full-time job in and of itself. I think trying to do all that logistically right. while maintaining my content output, et cetera. Basically I'm working two jobs as it is right now, just to be where I'm at. And Clubs are where I want to be. I love clubs. But you know what? If I email a club, maybe they'll give me like a Wednesday night. If, I, if it's a club I featured at and they see my social media numbers and they see the interest, cool. That's not a career. That's, mm -hmm. not, that's not somebody booking me at a, at a rate that they know I'm worth uh, to do five shows and to line up a tour of 25 cities where I can then say, okay, now I think having confidence in my own skills if I were to get a tour or legitimate tour, I could say to my day job, I'm going because I know once people see me in this capacity, it's off to the races. But I need to get there first. I need to get in the game. And they're still, for other people, they don't care. They, they're happy making that. Like I've made more money each, month, each of the last three months from Cameo, YouTube, um, album streams, and uh, a couple of Zoom shows than I've made from my law firm salary. Wow. But unless other things happen, that will dwindle down. And so I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not in a position to yeah. leave yet. I know I'm, I'm sure. really going all, all over the place with this, but the point being- This is great. This I is inside want, baseball stuff right here. <laughs> what I want from comedy- Yeah can only at this point still be provided by clubs and booking agents. Mm -hmm. And Got yes, it. if I, if I, if all of a sudden this year I have a windfall from private gigs and other things and all of a sudden I go, Ooh, I have you know, multiple six figures in my bank account. Well then maybe I can walk away from the firm and, and focus on booking my own thing, but not if I'm only looking at like five months cushion for bills and rent. Do you know what I mean? Like I would Got need it. something yes. that would say you can live for a year and at the end of that year, you still won't be broke. Then that's, a, that's, but other than that, it'd be nicer to just be like, oh, I'm a killer standup with a nice following. So why don't you just book me at 25 clubs? I'll sell my albums. I'll make a couple grand selling albums each week. I'll build the fan base. And knowing that if I get that chance to show what I, what I've been honing for the last 17 years, you know, it's, uh, you're a football fan? 
Yeah. Yeah. Steve Young, uh, former quarterback for the 49ers. Obviously, he should have been starting sooner because as soon as he took over the starting role, he was basically an MVP in the NFL because he'd been learning and waiting behind arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, Joe Montana. But once he got that shot, he immediately just went off on a Hall of Fame career. Now, he didn't have the, the total numbers because he got a later start than a lot of people because he was waiting so long. But when he got that shot, there was no doubt. And that's how I sort of think about my comedy career. It's, if, if it's, it's, it's all worth it. It's been a long and bitter struggle. But if I get the headline, I know what I will deliver. And then it will be worth it because all that energy and all that skill that's had to be honed under less than ideal circumstances will now be flourishing. And, but I still need that shot. And my, go, my, my goal would be to have it be, you know, comedy clubs around the country. Well, I hope that happens for you and you're very reflective and you have a good perspective on it. And it's, uh, it was good to hear kind of the, your thoughts behind it and, and the process too, and the business elements of it as well. Can you plug those places? You have many outlets where we could see and hear you. Right. Uh, sure. Um, well, my website is jlcomedy.com and most of the links, you know, links to all my albums are at the store page link to my two podcasts is obviously on the podcast page. And then I have two different YouTube channels. There's my YouTube. One debuted this week. Right. Right. Trump the internet, um, is, is the other one, which is going to be more that's, that's been funded by some people, um, to make sort of sketch comedy, more sketch viral video type stuff as mocking Trump. Um, so there's, there's two YouTube channels and, and I always tell people, I go, if you have money, go buy some of the albums. If you don't have money, stream the albums. If you don't have an album streaming service, subscribe on YouTube. That's free, but the money still comes to me when I get lots of video views. So there's, there's payways and freeways. Both podcasts are free. Um, so there's a lot of ways to hear me and, and, and watch me that, you know, if you've got the money, feel free to spend it. And if you don't, feel free to just listen because those those metrics count almost as good as money in this in this sort of digital comedy world um so yeah there's 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 lots of stuff and and the more the merrier who come and uh, listen and and watch jl covan thanks for being on i really appreciate it oh thank you for having me i'm sorry if some of those answers were uh more like speeches (laughs) (laughs) no it was good thank you very much thank you see ya